Thanks for listening to our Faith Church podcast. Let's listen to today's message. Um, we're going to jump into the Word today and uh, go to 2 Timothy 3, if you would. And uh, I, I want to talk, I kind of, I know what today is. I know today's July 4th. And um, so it's always an opportunity to talk about our nation and what's going on in our nations. And I don't know about you, but I, I know I certainly wonder what's going on in our nation, what's going on in even other nations of the world. What's going on in our nation is certainly, um, it's not by itself. There's nations around the world that are going through so many things right now. There's so many challenges around the world. And uh, sometimes when you look at things in our nation and the divisiveness and all the struggles in our nation, it can feel a little discouraging at times. And um, we have to kind of get our mind on the Lord. What is God saying? How do we respond to the times we are in? And 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it says this, and it says, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, New Living Translation. It says, verse 1, you should know, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others. They will have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless, they will be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power of the Holy Spirit that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Second Timothy, Paul is speaking, talking to Timothy, and he says, listen, in the last days, and I want to... Say it this way, we are in the last days. This, these are the last days. He said there's going to be difficult times. And your translation might say perilous times. There's going to be perilous times. And that means, as you look in the Greek, it means times of stress. It means violence, fierce. It means demonic, wild grievous, hard-to-bear times, distressing times. How many agree we're in those times? We are in those times. In fact, as you look at this list of things, as I look at this list, we are in all of this right now. We see that people only love themselves or their money. People are boastful and proud. People scoff at God. There's so many people that are just so angry at God. There's people that are disobedient to their parents, people that are ungrateful, that consider nothing sacred. It's amazing how people do not consider anything sacred anymore. There's just such a lack of respect for the things of God. They're unloving, unforgiving. They slander people. They have no self-control. They're cruel. They hate what is good. They betray their friends. They're reckless. We see this list. And we go, yep, that's our nation. That's America. That's what we're dealing with. We act religious, but then we reject the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A lot of people are religious, but they don't allow the Holy Spirit to transform them into the things, into the way God wants you to be. And so perilous times, why is this important? Because perilous times are meant to destroy you. They're meant to break you. They're meant to give you no hope, no encouragement, no faith. Perilous times, as you look around, if, if all you do is look at our world right now, it's discouraging on the outside. But I want you to take a look at what Paul says in verse 5, at the end of verse 5. And then we're going to go a little deeper in. The first thing he says after he gives that list, first thing he says is, stay away from people like that. Notice what he says in verse 5. 
Stay away from people like that. That's the exact way she says it. Don't go around them. Avoid people like that. Those are not people you want to, they're not people you want to have in your life, people that act like this. And you say, well, why do I need to stay away from people like that? Go to verse 6 and 7. Verse 6 says this. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women and men who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such people are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. So he tells us, stay away from people that act this way. Why? Because they're going to try to get in your life and affect your life for negative things. They're going to try to gain your confidence with maybe there's a truth. Maybe there's something that they speak and you go, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think that's true. And they try to gain your confidence, but they're not good for you because many times the reason they're gaining your confidence is they might be speaking to a hurt or a pain or a fear or whatever it is. And I see it all around our world. It's everywhere and there's people that are weaving their way into our lives, trying to speak to our pain, trying to speak to our hurts, trying to speak to our fears, trying to speak. And there's people from all corners of the earth that are trying to really affect us. And they're trying to win us over. And they're trying to speak to whatever version of truth we think we have. It says there's, they, they, they go in and they look for vulnerable people. What are vulnerable people, as they say? People who are immature. People who are weak. People who allow sin to control their lives. Sin will make you vulnerable. If you live a life of sin, we can, we can all sin, but if you live a life of sin, it opens you up to being deceived by the enemy. It, and what makes you vulnerable as well is desires that control you. If you have certain desires that control you. Again, we're reading verse 6 and 7. We're staying right with the word. Desires that control you. Ungodly things that you think about. That makes you vulnerable. We can all be vulnerable. Also, though, it says that vulnerable people, in verse 7, can struggle because they hear new teachings and aren't able to discern what's from God and what's not from God. There's new doctrines, new teachings, new beliefs. And sometimes biblical truths are hard to discern when you're vulnerable. You open yourself up to truths that aren't the Bible. They're new, but they're not God. You know, I've, 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 I listen to a lot of different uh, things, and one of the things... One of the things that I keep hearing say, people try to say is the Bible is progressive. No, it's not. No, it's not. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing changed. Bible's still the Bible. I'm reading 2 Timothy that was, read, that was written 2,000 years ago. It's still relevant today. I don't need to modify it. I don't need to adjust it for today's culture. The Bible is absolutely right on point with what's going on in today's culture. The Bible is forever true. But people want to change and come up with new teachings to fit their bad lifestyles. And we have to be careful because ultimately what Satan wants to do is destroy us. And so we have to be careful that we don't open ourselves up to bad biblical truths. Then he goes on in verse 8 and 9. And Paul goes on and says it this way. He says, these teachers... Oppose the truth, as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith, but they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janice and Jambres. Janice and Jambres say, Well, who is Janice and Jambres? Who are these guys? These are people, if you remember when Moses went to Pharaoh, 
And he stood in front of Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And he threw down his rod and it became a snake. Well, there was also some evil magicians that Pharaoh looked at and these musicians, not musicians, magicians, threw down their rod and it also became a snake. Jonas and John Brays were evil magicians that brought trickery into Pharaoh. Who was Pharaoh? Pharaoh was a government leader. Pharaoh was one who put his trust in his magicians. He looked at them with the same level of belief and felt that they had the same ability as Moses did. He didn't see them as lesser than God or lesser than Moses. He saw them equal to, which is a very dangerous place to be. They, he, Mo, Pharaoh believed that these guys had as much power as Moses. And so how they did it is through trickery. And what Paul is saying here is they have depraved minds and counterfeit faith. It sounds right in their mind, but it's wrong. It sounds right in their beliefs, but it's empty. They have depraved minds and counterfeit faith. You have to be careful who you're listening to. Some people that you might be listening to, you might be following on social media, you might be watching on television or watching on YouTube, are actually Jonas's and Jambres. They have depraved minds and counterfeit faiths. They sound like they know what they're talking about, but they don't. And the reason why sometimes we can be drawn into people like that is they speak to a hurt, a pain, a fear, a worry, whatever it is. They speak to one of those things and we go, yep. And their answer sounds powerful, but it's actually trickery. It sounds right. Sounds like, yes. That's what we need to do. That'll solve the problem, and it won't. Because God is the only one that can solve the situations we are in. And I believe this is why so many are being destroyed by the news, by social media, by listening to politicians. So many are being destroyed through cultural influencers, celebrities, whether they're smart people or rich people, we can all be influenced by somebody. We can all allow the enemy to speak into something that isn't fully dealt with in our life. But I want to go to verse 10 because verse 10 is the verse that I believe helps us. And I want to talk about eight truths that we need in perilous times. Eight truths that we need in perilous times. Verse 10 says this, but you, Timothy, Paul speaking to Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. Truth number one, I need to know what God's word teaches. I need correct doctrine. He looked at Timothy and said, but you know what I teach. You know the word of God. You know correct doctrine. If we don't spend time in the word of God, we are not going to know the word of God. You need more time in the word than an hour a week with me. Every day, spend time reading your Bible. Every day, spend time listening to the Word of God. Maybe you're driving to work. Turn on your phone app and listen to the phone or read the Bible. Take time. You need the Word of God. The enemy is going to try to bring you new doctrines, new beliefs. 
And some things sound close, they sound good, but they are not the truth. And we can all be deceived, we can all be tricked. And so you have to ask the Lord to help you, but, the, but you don't blame somebody else if you're not investing in your own life. If you don't know the word of God, well, I go to church all the time. Well, I pray, but you have to invest in the word. It's God's word that stands forever. It's God's word that is full of power. It's God's word that is the final authority. It's his word that we stand on. When I'm going through something, I need a word from God. I need his word. Many times when I'm praying with somebody, I'm talking with somebody, and they're going through a crisis, I will say to them, you need a scripture from God. You need God to speak to you through his word. Because when you get the scripture, when you get the right doctrine, it'll give you the right power to stand on to accomplish that which God's trying to do. And so I need to know the word of God. I need to have correct doctrine. There is a lot of bad doctrine out there. There's a lot of bad doctrine, a lot of bad teachings out there. There's a lot of leaders and pastors and teachers who've never studied the word, who've never had any type of training in the word of God, don't know that what they're speaking is heresy. What they're speaking is incorrect. They're good people, but it would be like kind of me going in and saying, you know, I need surgery. And some guy says, well, you know, I've watched a lot of doctor TV shows. <laughs> okay, but do you actually know where everything is inside of me? Are you going to cut the right place or am I going to bleed out? And some people hold the word of God. The Bible says the word of God is sharper. And, true. and some people hold it and cut people and they bleed out. Because they don't, haven't handled the word of God carefully. The word of God, you've got to handle carefully. You just can't make flippant statements. You just can't say, well, you know, God says that you can't pull scriptures out of the air. But people do. They just pull scriptures out of the air. And then they get upset when they don't know why it didn't happen. Because you don't have the whole counsel of God. That's why we encourage people to take origins. Because by the time you get through origins, you're going to know the word better than 90% of people who go to church. Because it is so rich and meaty in doctrine. And we need sound doctrine. And Paul said to Timothy, listen, I'm going to tell you what it is, how I stay straight, how I stay the right way, is because, first of all, I have sound doctrine. I have sound doctrine. My doctrine is solid. And sound doctrine matters. Bad doctrine can lead people. Here's the truth. Bad doctrine can lead people to hell. There's doctrines out there right now that are leading people to hell. They're telling people that all you have to do is repent once and never have to repent again. Never have to ask God to forgive you of your sins again. Just once. And all your future sins are covered. Don't worry about it. That is a terrible doctrine. But literally millions of people are following this guy. Christians. And if I said his name, many people would know his name. He's popular. And he's got disciples that are popular in America. And it's bad doctrine. It's terrible doctrine. Listen, if you sin, you need to make it right with God. You need to go to God and say, God, I sinned. It, it doesn't mean God's forgiveness isn't ready, but you have to ask for it. It's more than just praying one prayer and going, you know, I prayed in 1973 that God would save me. And so I have not asked for forgiveness since. You are in trouble because we are continually working out our salvation with the Lord and we're continually cleaning stuff out of our lives. It's a continual work and that we have to be conscious of. And so there are bad doctrines out there like that that are leading people in terrible places. And so you have to know your doctrines, first of all, in perilous times. These are perilous times. Secondly, the second truth is you need to live, I need to live for God. I need to live for God. 
That's what he says there. Certainly know what I teach and you know how I live. Paul saying to Timothy there. I need to live for God. Everything needs to be centered around Christ. Everything in my life is centered around Jesus. I'm not just living for God on Sundays between the hours of 11 and 1. And for some, it's 11.15 and 12.30. But whatever time you'd say, I'm not just li you're living for God the entire week. I'm living for God. What does God want me to do? How does God want me to live today? What is God's agenda for me today? And so I have to live for God. That means there's things as a believer I can't do. There's things because I'm living. It's like being married to my wife. I'm married to my wife. I'm living in a marriage. I can't do what I want to do with anybody else because I am married. I decided to be married. And in that marriage, there are rules to protect the vitality of this marriage. It's the same thing in the kingdom of God. If I'm going to live for God, there are things I can do and things I can't do. And I have to realize that or else it ruins my relationship with God. So I have to live for God. And that's important. It's not that God won't forgive us. It's not that God won't uh, help us turn around. But I have to have a mindset that I'm living for God. I'm not living for myself. A lot of people say, well, I don't live for the devil. No, you don't live for the devil. You just live for you. And he, Paul's saying, you've got to live for God. Yes. I'm living for God. The third truth. I need to know what God's purpose is for my life. I need to know. The third word Paul mentioned is purpose. I need to know what the purpose is for my life. Why am I here? What is the purpose for my life? See, the purpose for your life will keep you from going down wrong roads. And I need to know, why, why, why am I here in Rochester, New York in 2021? Why am I in this city, in this community, in Rochester, with all this violence, with all this incredible great weather? Why am I here for at least a month? Why am I here? Because I know my purpose. I know this is where God has me. So when everything around me is swirling, when everything around me is chaotic, I'm at peace because I know God's called me to Rochester. I don't look and say, what state would best fit me? What city would best fit me? What nation? I should move and find the best nation that agrees with me. I don't look at that. I say, God, where do you want me? What assignment do you have for me? Because I want to be, be doing my purpose. I remember when, when my wife and I graduated from college and we got married. And one of the things I learned very young is try to, to understand the will of God. How do I know I'm walking in the will of God? How do I know I'm walking in the purposes of God? And God spoke something to me very simply. And I've never forgot it, and I've shared it with many. Is in order for me to do God's will physically... And God's purpose physically, I have to be in God's purpose geographically. So when we were deciding, we were getting offers to be at different churches out of Bible school. And some great churches, some incredible pastors. And we had, to, it wasn't a matter of what job they were going to give me, how much they were going to pay me, what title was I going to get. It was a matter of, God, I want to be in your will. I want to be in your purpose. Because on the onset, the worst looking job was Rochester. <laughs> Rochester was not the place offering me. My own home church wasn't even offering me ministry. The job I got in the church was in the school being a gym teacher. How do you think that went? <laughs> Actually, it went pretty good. I actually kind of liked it. I was a lot thinner back then, and it was, I loved the kids, and I didn't get injured like Pastor Eric playing volleyball. So it worked really well. But that was the offer. 
I could have been a music pastor. I could have been a youth pastor. I could have been an associate pastor at different places easily. But God says, if you're not in the right place, he said to me, if you're not in the right place geographically, how will you get in the right place physically? In other words, when it's time for promotion, if you are in South Carolina and you're supposed to be in Rochester, how is Rochester going to find you? Where if you're in the right church, you're in the right location, and you say, hey, I'm, I'm teaching gym class, I'm teaching music class, I'm the school chaplain, school athletic director, I'm doing all these things my first three years out of, out of college, and so as I'm doing those things, I was in the right place, so when God says, yep, now I'm going to make you over the minister of music in your church, because you're in the right place. I can shift you because you obeyed me. You understood your purpose was for that time to minister to children. Because God's purposes keep moving. And there's times when God will, in your 20s, have you one place, and in your 40s, have you someplace else, in your 60s, someplace else. His purposes keep moving. But if I'm not in the right geographical location, how am I going to get there? And so I've got to understand that God has a geography purpose. And if I'm called to be in Africa, how am I going to survive? How am I going to say, well, I'm going to stay in, in Rochester? I'm setting myself up for failure. I have to understand my purpose, where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be doing during that season. And where people get lost is they don't know their purpose. And so when the enemy throws stuff at them, they just fall all apart. And they just get all confused and all turned around because they don't understand their purpose. Or when things are going on, well, this is happening in Rochester. I'm moving. I don't like what's going on in Rochester. Is that what God said or is that just what you don't like? Because I promise you, there's stuff going on everywhere. As soon as you think you're going to escape it, you're going to have it. And so you can't trust and say, if I move somewhere, I'm not going to have problems. The main reason you're still going to have problems is you're still going to be there. And we bring our own problems to situations. I've got to know my purpose. I've got to know where I'm supposed to be. Otherwise, Satan will lead me in the place that I'll never fulfill. You know, there's people who live for Christ who never know their purpose. God isn't trying to confuse you. God isn't trying to play hide and seek. But you have to ask, God, what is my purpose right now? Where do you want me right now? I, I was talking to one gentleman um, a while ago. He doesn't come to our church. And I was talking to him, and uh, I said, what are you supposed to be doing? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, why aren't you working? Because he was an able-bodied man. I said, why aren't you working? He goes, well, I think I'm worth more. People need to pay me more. So the very fact that he said that to me, I realize he'll never do what God wants him to do. Because if it's always based on money, again, we go back to the beginning of this passage. People are lovers of themselves, lovers of money. My paycheck doesn't determine my worth. My paycheck doesn't determine my value. The will of God determines it. But if your paycheck determines your will, worth, then you have a wrong mindset. And some people feel like it's their paycheck. Listen, we can argue whether you're worth more or worth less. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you in the will of God? And, as God, and if God is your provider, then God will supply all you have need of if God's put you in the place where you're supposed to be. And he'll meet your needs in every way, shape, and form, whether it's spiritual physical, and emotional. God will meet your needs when you know your purpose. The fourth truth, truth number four is, I need to walk by faith. He says, my faith. He says, you know my faith. I need to walk by faith. We quote the scripture, walk by faith, not by sight. Walking by faith is hard because the truth is, we see a lot of stuff. We see a lot of garbage. We see a lot of things out there and walking by faith means I'm living for God. I'm listening to God. 
and I'm going to do what he tells me to do. I'm going to believe God for the best. I'm going to believe that God's going to turn situations around. I'm going to speak to situations in order to see them turn around. So I'm walking by faith, not by sight. My marriage may look like a disaster. My children may look like a mess. My finances may be a mess. My health, whatever it is. But I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to ask the Lord to show me and to give me faith to see it turn around because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I have to have faith. If I don't have faith, then nothing's going to change in my life. And my faith isn't in me. I have no power in and of myself. My faith is in him alone. I believe God's going to turn our city around. I believe God's going to turn our nation around. I believe God's going to do something. And then even if he doesn't, I'm not going to lose faith. I've, I've prayed with many people at the hospital whose loved one is getting ready to pass away. And they'll say, Pastor, how do we pray? They may even know their loved one's going to pass away. How do we pray? I say, you stay in faith. For without faith, you can't please God. You've got to stay in faith. You've got to believe God. And you stay in faith. And you keep believing God until whatever point God makes whatever decision God's going to make. But I don't lose faith. I don't understand all the ways of God, but I don't lose faith. And I keep building my faith. And you've got to grow in your faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. I have faith God's going to bring revival to Rochester. I have faith that God is going to bring miracles and healings and deliverance. I have faith that God's going to save thousands of souls this summer on the streets of Rochester. I have faith God's going to do some things. I believe God's going to turn people around this year. But some people have no faith. You know, Jesus at one point looked at his disciples and said, how is it possible you guys have no faith? You guys have been walking with me. How is it possible you have no faith? Well, I don't think anything's going to turn around, Pastor. I don't think people are going to get saved. I think people are going to be mean. I think people, I think it's going to, things are going to get worse and worse. And they might get worse and worse. But how is it you have no faith? Where's your relationship with God? And who stole your faith? We have to have faith and believe God that things are going to turn around. And that God's going to do some things in us, in our nation, in our churches. Truth number five. I need to have patience with all people. I need to have patience with all people. Now I understand Paul's talking doctrine, how I live, my purpose, my faith, and then all of a sudden he throws in patience. Why did he have to throw in patience? Patience is like a swear word. <laughs> because patience is hard. I have to have patience with people. People who are mean. People who are hating. People who are so difficult. And I have to develop patience. Patience. God's word says let patience have its perfect work. What's that mean? It's maturing work. Let patience mature you. You ever met a toddler who says, I want. What toddler do you know that's patient? And go, Dad, I'm good. Whenever you get to it, you know, don't worry about my cup. Don't worry about my little crackers. I'm good, Dad. You know, if it takes you an hour or two, I'm good. I'll just sit here. I'll wait. I'll play with my little doodles. And we'll just, don't worry about it, Dad. I'm fine. What toddler do you know that's patient? None. It's like, I want, I want. And then, they, and then if you, then you have the toddler that starts screaming uncontrollably. Now, for me in my household, that was something I dealt with in a whole nother way. Because <laughs> I wasn't going to let that stand in my house. Those are spirits that start young in my kids that I get rid of. That's another conversation that I'm willing to have with you one-on-one <laughs> if we need to do this. I've raised three kids. I know how this works. It starts young. It ain't cute. It ain't cute. 
when they're throwing themselves on the ground, give me this, give me that. It's not cute. Mm -mm. In Jesus' name, those spirits are coming out of you now in Jesus' name. I ain't playing with y'all. You're getting up. You're doing what I'm telling you to do in Jesus' name. That's because we deal with spiritual issues. And we have Christians that have been saved for decades that act like toddlers. They have no patience. I don't know why God won't just do what I want him to do. I told God what I wanted him to do. I've been praying for three days. Three days. And you know God, right? And you, you know God. Now, can God do it in three days? He can do it in three seconds. But sometimes he allows things. He calls them tests and trials and all these. He allows us to be around people that we wouldn't have chosen to work patience in us. You know, I bet if you spend time with them, you could win them over. I don't want to spend time with them. All right, you're in need of a little patience. They're mean. I know. But you're not. And the love of Jesus in you, who's bigger? You, Moses, or you, Jonas and Jambres? Who's got the bigger God? Who's got the more powerful God? Are you going to quit on God that quick when he puts you in a place and somebody else throws down their snake? You're like, well, I don't want to fight that. Whose God is bigger, yours or theirs? How patient must Moses have been? Plague after plague after plague. I'm going to get my people out of here. They're going to come out. Patience. Pharaoh hardened his heart. You ever met somebody that hardens their heart? Like, God, send Joshua. Not me. But God sends you. Your assignment, patience. God gave you into their family. You have to have patience with your family. Whew. You have to have patience with your boss. Patience <laughs> with your spouse. No woofs. No woofs. They're right next to you. <laughs> but it's like raising children. I expect my two-year-old to be two. But I don't expect my 20-year-old to be two. If my 20-year-old's being two, we've got a problem. But I expect my two-year-old. So I'm going to have to allow them to grow. I'm going to allow them to begin to grow. And I have to give them God. But it's going to be patience. And God says, I want patience to be developed in you. Look at America. Look at Rochester. America, Rochester. A lot of patience. You're not going to turn America around with a vote. Haven't we tried this? Well, I know if my guy gets in, everything will turn around. How's that going? It's not. Because it's our God wants us to have patience. Love on people. Pastor, this person I work with, yeah, patience. Love on them. Let patience have its perfect work. Patience is hard. I'm not saying it's easy. You know, the New King James uses an even better word, long-suffering. Okay, let's go on to truth number six. Truth number six, I need to walk in love. So Paul mentions these five things, and then he comes into the sixth one. He goes, and you know me by my love. You know my love. And we talk about love Loving God, we know these are the two biggest commandments in the Bible. Love God, love your neighbor. We know these are the two biggest commandments. We need to love God, 
love our neighbor. We need to love God. We need to love people. Not just love people we like. Not just love people we're married to or people we gave birth to. We have to love people. Not just any people. That person. We have to love that person. That politician. That leader. That crook. We have to love that person that has done things to us. We have to love people. Love God didn't say, I want you to love your good neighbors. He says, love me, love your neighbors. Not your favorite neighbor. Ooh, I love Mike. Mike's a great neighbor. Yeah, what about Donna? Uh, Donna, whoo, Jesus. Yep, you got to love her too. I'm not saying it's easy, but God will give you love. Here's the problem. This world is so full of hate. This world is full of hatred. One of the things that's taking down our nation right now is a spirit of hatred. It is pervasive. It is horrible. And the truth is, hate will kill you. Hate is designed to destroy you from the inside out. Hate will cause you to see things skewed. Hate will cause you to be so disturbed that you will leave victims everywhere. Hatred is too big a burden. We can't afford hatred. I have to allow the Holy Spirit to give me love for people that have done me wrong. Give me love for people that are going another direction. Love for people that in my flesh, I don't want to love. I can't allow a spirit of hatred. Because if I allow a spirit of hatred, it's going to bring death. And death is what the enemy wants, not what God wants. God brings life. Hatred brings death. And when, if I eat of that tree of death, it's going to kill me. And so I can't afford hatred. But the world is full of hatred. Full of hatred. There is so much hatred. And the only one that can change your heart is God. Jesus can break down your heart. Jesus can give you a love for people. See, here's the problem. I can't minister to people I hate. So if there's somebody I hate, I can't be an effective minister to them. Remember Jonah? Jonah, God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to turn and give this word and turn these people back to me. Jonah says, I hate Nineveh. In fact, God, I hate Nineveh so much, I'm going to Tarsus. Because you can't minister to people you hate. You can't minister in a city you hate. You can't minister in a nation you hate. You can't minister to people you hate. And so you're going to want to run the other direction and make excuses. Well, I never could do that. I could never do that. That's because hatred is in your heart. Jonah, even though... God shook him up. Look at that story that God did with Jonah. Look what God did in his redemptive love. Jonah, you don't want to go that way. Jonah, don't go that way. All right, you went that way. All right, let's get the boat moving. God, why is the boat moving? God, why is everybody getting sick? Because you won't do what I told you to do. You're going the wrong way. God, you don't love me. I have faith, but you don't have obedience. Throw him overboard. Swallowed by a large fish. Jonah, come on. What's it going to take? A fish? A smelly, nasty fish? You still don't get it? I put you in a place 
And you still hate the people of Nineveh? I love the people of Nineveh. I love the people of Rochester. I love the people in New York State. Why are you running? All right, God, I'll go do it. He goes and does it. He's still upset. See, God, I did what you told him to. I did what you told me to do. I, I, I gave the prophetic word, and they all repented. See, they, you still didn't wipe them out. He still wanted them killed. I'll do what you told me to do, but I'm not happy about it. Hatred will destroy your life. I can't bear that burden of hatred. It's too big a burden. But if you're going to minister to somebody, if you're going to bring Jesus, well, I share Jesus all the time. What about the person you hate? I ain't going near him. That's probably the person you need to aim for. Don't allow a spirit of hatred to keep you from loving somebody. God loves everybody. God says, for I so love the world. Why do you get to pick? After all, people aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting God. Amen. Yet God still loves everyone. Well, I just, you know, people are so mean. People have treated us bad. People in this nation, this nation's terrible nation. I, I, this nation's done some bad stuff. It's done some bad stuff. It has. But you've got to love this nation. You've got to love New York State. You've got to love Rochester. You've got to love our leaders. I don't care who you vote for. Oh, pastor, I don't know if I like this new doctrine you're teaching us. It's not a new doctrine. It's been there for 2,000 years. Yours is the new doctrine. Oh, I ain't clapping about that. I don't know who he thinks he is. But hatred will destroy you. And the thing is, when you sow seeds of hatred, they come back to you. And not only you, it comes back on your children and your children's children. And I can't afford for my kids to get a spirit of hatred in them either. I have to show them what love is. But dad, they treated you wrong. It's okay. I love them. What do you mean you love them? Can't you just kind of not like them? No, I love them. But that's the only way it comes is God. God gives us that love. And then the, the seventh word. There's only eight. You're okay. Seventh word is endurance. I need to endure and pass every test and every trial. Every trial and every test. I need to endure. Bible says you're in need of endurance. What is endurance? Endurance is when problems come. You say, God, why me? You're in need of endurance. Are you going to give up when the trials get difficult? You're going to give up when the testings get difficult. I'm not saying all the problems and trials and testings in your life are from God. I'm not saying that. But God allows them. Yeah, sure he does. God allowed COVID these last 15 months. He allowed it. Some people didn't make it. And I don't mean that from a life and death standpoint. I mean a spiritual standpoint. Some people got mad at God. Some people got offended. Well, like God, I prayed this and that happened. And what are you going to do when you pray one way and God goes another? The Bible says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. That means there's going to be times you pray. You're not going to get your prayer answered. At least not the way you want it. I've had plenty of prayers not answered the way I want. God doesn't ask me for my vote. And I know that sounds harsh, and I'm not trying to be. But we need to understand endurance. Think of endurance as a marathon runner. Anybody ever run the marathon? No, 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 no wait, wait, I need to ask better. Anybody ever finish a marathon? Do you ever finish a 26-mile marathon? Anybody? Okay, I got half a hand, maybe. How well do you think I would do in a marathon right now? Okay, I know you're being kind. <laughs> Let me explain to you right now. I wouldn't get through, through the first mile. 
And you know why I wouldn't get through the, through, through the first mile? And the truth is, you all know it. You're looking at me and you go, we know, Pastor. We're just too nice to say it. But the truth is, the reason I wouldn't get through the first mile is I'm out of shape. And I need to lose some weight to run the marathon. And if you're going to complete the marathon, every mile point is going to be a shaving of the weight. And you're going to have to shave things off. The reason we go through endurance is there's things that got to be shaved off. There's things that are only going to get shaved off in mile two. There's things that are only going to get shaved off at mile four. There's things and beliefs that until you get to mile 10, you're not going to have that thing shaved off. You're like, oof, I got through mile four. God, I thought mile four was hard. Mile 10 is harder. Yeah, there's things in our life that God wants us to shave off of our lives. There's things that we've taken on. There's attitudes and there's spirit activity and there's unbelief and there's fears and there's things and the enemy has piled on and said, yeah, go ahead and run, knowing there's no possible way you'll finish the race with all that stuff on you. And in order for you to finish the race, like Paul said, I have finished the race. You want to talk about endurance? Look at what Paul had to endure. I mean, you get a partial list here in, in, in 2 Timothy 3, 11 and 12. He says, you know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. I want to live a godly life. Persecution. Endurance. And he says in his word, he won't give you more than you can bear. And that is a real scripture. And I know some of the things we've all had to bear have been brutal. Brutal. Different people had to bear different things that have been horrible. But are you going to give up at mile eight? Is 2021 the year you quit? Is 2022 the year you say, God, too much? And you let Satan take over? Endurance. You got to endure. You want to read endurance? Read Paul in Corinthians of all the things he endured. Read all this stuff. How many times he was beaten? How many times he was persecuted? How many times he was put in jail? How many times he was stoned? Look at all the things that he went through. Shipwrecked. He was hungry many nights. Sleepless many nights. Went through so many things. Talk about endurance. And then he says, I finished the race. Again, we're talking about how do I live in perilous times? There are some studies that have started to come out. And they're still doing them because we're still kind of coming on the back end of the pandemic. There's studies that literally millions of people have walked away from Christ during the pandemic. It's like, nope, I'm out. Now, they may still call themselves a Christian, but they do nothing Christians do. I don't care what name you give yourself, but if you don't do anything Christians do, you don't read your Bible, you don't pray, you don't talk to God, you don't witness, you don't, you don't do anything that re resembles a Christian. And there's people in droves that mile marker 2020 quit the race. Endurance. Pastor, I don't know how you did it through the pandemic. I don't know how you did it with the school, with the church. I didn't do it. God did it through me. It wasn't me. In me, I wanted to run and hide and go lay on a beach for two years. But because of my purpose, my calling, my love, my faith, all the things Paul talked about, I'm still here. You're still here. We're still here. You got through. The enemy tried to take you out. He tried to discourage you. Endurance. Endurance is a huge word. Because the trials and tribulations that come through endurance are brutal. And they're different for everyone. Don't look at somebody one day and say, oh, that's easy. Maybe for you. 
Or maybe you have a short memory. It wasn't that easy. I remember praying for you. It wasn't that easy back then. You make it sound easy now because the Holy Spirit worked in you. And don't say to people, just get over it. It's not that easy. I'm at mile 10. How do you get over to mile 26? I can't take a cab. How do you get over it? What do you mean get over it? I'm stuck at mile 10. I need to get through this. I need to get to mile 11. And there's people who struggle in the race and have need of endurance. God's going to give you endurance. We have to think differently about our race. What the world does is what the world does. I can't control what the world does, but I can control what I do. I have to run this race with endurance. Notice what he says here in verse 13. But evil people and imposters will flourish. It means you're going to have more and more evil people. You're going to have more imposters. What's an imposter? Somebody who's a pretender. Somebody's pretending to be saved or pretending to serve Christ. And it says they will deceive others and themselves will be deceived. So you've got people who are going to not only deceive others, but they're going to deceive others out of their own deception. We are seeing that in America right now. There are so many people deceived and they're deceiving others and it sounds good, but they're full of deception. There's so many leaders and so many people on TV or on, the, on uh, social media or wherever they are that are deceived. They're deceived and they're leading others in their deception. And the carefulness of this is this. Any of us can be deceived. I can be deceived. I've been deceived before. Probably if all of us are honest, honest, we've all been deceived. You think somebody, you think that guy's a good guy? You think that lady's a nice lady? And they just took all your money? We can all be deceived. Any of us. That's why we have to stay so close to God, because the Holy Spirit will go, mm, don't do that. But yet, they sound so good in their deception, God. Their deception sounds so good. Don't do that. Don't receive that. This is where we struggle. Go into verse 14 and 17, through 17. It says this, and I'll close with this verse, these verses. But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting Jesus Christ. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Here's the last point. I need to be faithful to the word of God. Be faithful to the word of God. This is what he's talking about. He starts with the word of God, ends with the word of God. Be faithful to the word of God. I, I can't say it enough. There's a lot of opinions out there. I don't care. Stop getting caught up with all the opinions. Stop being told what is patriotic and what isn't. Whatever. For me, I want to be a servant of God first. And if I'm going to serve God, that means I'm going to have to recognize I'm in perilous times. And if I'm going to see my nation turn around, if I'm going to see my city turn around, I'm going to have to develop a love for them that I've never had. I'm not afraid to say I love America. It's not that I love what America has done. But God's given me a love for the nation I live so that people can get saved, healed, and set free. I'm not saying I love everything Rochester has done. Far from it. But I love our city. I love our city. I love our people. I love our community. Is it a mess? Yes. But do I love my city? Do I love my state? Do I love my nation? Yes. 
Why? We've got to be careful that we don't get caught up with Jonas and Jambers and their little trickery. Well, you need to hate. I don't need to hate. I need to love. Yeah, but they, they're bad. They did bad stuff. We've all done bad stuff. Who hasn't done bad stuff? Besides Jesus. He's the only one who hasn't. I've got to love people. I've got to pour out my heart towards them and let God minister to them. It's the love of Jesus. It's the love of Christ. Let's stand this morning. Thanks again for listening to our Faith Church Podcast. We are so glad you chose to listen to this message. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to receive notifications when we release new content. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Faith Church Rock to find out more information about what is currently happening at Faith Church.